Amen. Well, good morning, City Life. Feel free to take a seat. My name is Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. I just want to open us up in a word of prayer before we get rolling. Uh, So if you would bow your heads with me, let's go to the Father. Lord, uh, we are oh so grateful that we get to come to you and worship you, God, as a gathered family as a people that you've adopted, that you've sent your son to die on a cross, to raise from the dead, to defeat sin and death, to cover our sin and shame, all so that we could enter into a right relationship with you, so that we could be called sons, so that we could look to you and cry out, Abba, Father, Lord. I pray this morning that that truth would ring so deeply into our hearts and that you would speak to us in just a beautiful way this morning, Lord that we would see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we would see you as our Father, a good, good Father, the perfect Father. And it's all by the blood of your Son. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through a series that we're calling Family Matters. And so through this series, we're actually going to go through our core values as a church, so down, up, in, out, but strategically through our vision statement as a church. Our vision statement as a church is that we are a family to belong to, a family to grow with, and a family to go with. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to kind of piece this apart. And today I'm going to walk us through what it means that we are a family. Why do we say that so often? What, what is it that actually unites us as a family? And so I want to dive into that together, uh, just through the scriptures and where we see God actually speak of the gathered body as a family. And so it got me thinking about families And, and something with families is often there's really fun memories. And then there's also really awkward memories that you can kind of look back on and laugh at. And so as I started thinking about awkward family memories, it made me think of awkward family pictures, right? It's kind of like an internet sensation that you kind of see all these awkward family photos. And so I kind of looked throughout the internet and said, I kind of want to show some of these because they're absolutely hilarious. And it's even like a board game to this point. So here's some awkward family photos. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any, I don't know what's going on with the guy who's just like in the background. Um, But okay, here's the next one. Who took a Christmas card picture like this? Anybody? No one? Okay. Next. Oh my gosh. That is the best baby announcement picture I've ever seen. Okay, next one. I don't know what's going on here. I really don't. Okay, so this one's actually one of my own. You can't kind of see it, but I've got like, it's like awkward. I'm in a weird position. It's like me, my mom, and my brother. And it's just like really weird. I thought it'd be fun to even show like one of my own family photos. Uh, And so that's one back in the day. Please don't make fun of me for what I used to look like with my frosted tips and my crushed soda. Uh, This one is Jenny and Jason. Apparently Jason really used to like Austin Powers. Um, and just kind of like the pinky thing. But these are super fun. And so uh, family photos and, and family relationships o- often like make us laugh. They're great. Mem- oh, this one. Oh my gosh. Look at this hairdo. Look at this. 
If I had enough hair, I would potentially do that. But I'm going bald like the guy below. Um, so I'm done for uh, in a couple of months. But families really make us kind of ponder back and think on like these, uh, these memories that we have. And we cherish those memories. And we remember those things. And we kind of look back and laugh at those. But I, I want to key in on this family relationship, this family dynamic that we have. Because as we dive into the scriptures, we see that God is our father, that he's adopted us into this family, right? That he's not only saved us to himself, but he saved us to the family that he's also saved. Other brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we miss this, right, we don't actually live out what God intended for us. We never actually live out the real relationships that God wanted for us to live out as the gathered body, as the family that he's adopted. And so today we're going to see how God has adopted us as a family through the book of Galatians. And we're going to see it in three different ways. We're going to see that we have the same outfit being clothed with Christ. Then we'll see that we have the same adoption by the Father who sent the Son to pay for for us to adopt us into that family. And then finally, we're going to see that we have the same inheritance as our fellow brothers and sisters by God's grace. So if you would, please open up to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to read about this same outfit that we share with one another. It says this in 327. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus. But before we kind of dig into Galatians, I want to do some context for us to know what exactly is happening within the letter to the Galatians. So Paul the Apostle, he wrote this letter to the Galatian church because there were these guys, these Judaizers, who were coming into the church who were saying, hey, you actually have to become a Jewish and be, be circumcised before you can even be a Christian. And so they were teaching this theology of works, that you need to work and do something in order to have your salvation. And through through chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul is tearing it all apart and saying, no, our faith is in what Jesus has done, that we're justified by our faith in Christ, that there's no work that you can do as a human in order to make yourself right with God, that it's all what Christ himself has done. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 16, he says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by by faith in Jesus Christ, even when we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. So he's trying to make this point and show them it's not by this, these fancy works. It's not by trying to earn yourself good favor with God or impress God. It, it's actually all by what Christ has done. And so it's led to this point to where Paul is just showing them it's all what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done in verse uh, 26 of chapter three, he says that you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 27, he starts using this imagery of being baptized with Christ, of of being clothed with Christ. And, And what Paul is trying to really say and point us to see is that we are one with Christ. We have union with Christ, that everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. If you've come to believe in who he is as your Lord and Savior, when the Father looks at you, he sees the Son. He sees the beautiful righteousness of what Christ has done and who he is. And so that's what Paul's 
Paul's trying to show us, and he uses this language of being baptized and, and, and uh, clothed with Christ to show this union with Jesus. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul actually says, I have been crucified with Christ. He's talking about himself. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, right? Like when we read the Gospels, it's not that Paul is actually on the cross with Jesus. No, but he's showing that he's got union with Jesus. And then in fact, even more so in Romans chapter six, Paul says this about baptism. He says, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Paul is painting this picture that all that is true of Jesus is true of us when we come to believe in him because we've been completely clothed with Christ. And I love the imagery of being clothed with Christ because when you look at someone, right, you can kind of tell something about them based off of their clothes. You kind of go, oh, okay, I can get kind of a feel of what type of person they're like or what their background is or maybe what their job is, right? If you walk downtown and you see someone in like a suit, a nice business suit, in, in the middle of the work week, you're going to think, oh, they're, they're a business person, right? If you walk on campus and you see someone who's really decked out in like really nice Husker gear down from the shoes all the way up to the stocking cap, you're going to go, oh, they're probably an athlete. Uh, and also, not only does clothes show us maybe who a person is a little bit, but it shows us who they belong to who they really belong to. Th think of it this way. You're walking down the street, you see someone with like a Nelnet t-shirt on, you kind of go, oh, they, they probably belong to Nelnet. They work for Nelnet. Or uh, like BJ's got this cool taco hat for Taco Inn. Uh, and, and if you see someone else wearing that hat, you're like, oh, they belong to like the family of Taco Inn. Or if I see someone wearing like a Doan t-shirt, I'm like, oh, they're part of the Doan family. Like all of that starts to make sense. And, and so our clothes kind of reveals these things to us, right? It, it shows who we belong to. It maybe shows a little insight into who we are it, it, up to the point to where even thinking within your family, hand-me-downs, hand-me-downs, right? You give those to someone else, probably within your family, and they wear the same exact clothes, and it shows that you belong to that very same family. And so Paul is drawing on this illustration to show us, you've been clothed with Christ. And even more so, it made me think of Genesis chapter 3, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin. God approaches them, they realize they're naked, and they run, ashamed, they hide, they try to clothe themselves with fig leaves, and in the midst, God says, no, that's, that's not good enough, actually, there needs to be a sacrifice, and then he skins the animal, and he gives the skins, right, for them to be clothed with, for a proper sacrifice for their sin, to totally cover their sin and shame, that they're hiding and running in, and like Adam and Eve, we are clothed with Christ Jesus, clothed with who he is and what he's done to the point to where he covers our sin and our shame. He's covered every wrong thing that we've done, and he said, you are mine, I've come for you. How beautiful is that imagery to show that we are one with Christ, that we've been crucified with Christ, that we're raised up with Christ, is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. 
This is good news, that we get to soak into this reality that we are one with Jesus because of what he has done, because of who he is. And in the middle of this, like, Galatian church that's struggling, that's being really divisive, because the Judaizers are saying, no, you have to do this, you have to be like this, and some other people may be sort of confused at what's going on and what is true faith. Paul says there needs to not be any division, because you are no longer Jew, Greek, slave. You are no, not just a male or female, but you are one in Christ is exactly what he says. And if you belong to Christ Jesus, he says, you are all one in who he is. He's not saying that your ethnicity doesn't matter. He's not saying that your gender doesn't matter, but he's simply drawing on the reality that if you're in Christ, if you're part of this family, there needs to be no division because we are all one in Jesus, because this is what he's brought us towards. This is what he's adopted us into, and that's the truth that Paul is laying out, that you're one in Christ. And because of Jesus, we're all a part of this one family who shares the same outfit, who is one with the king of the universe, the one who's covered our sin and shame, the one who's adopted us into this family. So how exactly does that happen, right? How exactly are we clothed with Christ? How are we adopted into the family? How do we have that same adoption? Well, the next section, Paul kind of lays out exactly how that adoption happens. So let's keep reading verses 29 to verse 5. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, instead he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by the father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because we belong to Christ, we receive adoption as sons. This is good news, and it takes us all the way back. We kind of have to uh, debunk exactly what Paul is saying, or not debunk, but kind of walk through it all and see what exactly is Paul getting at, because he brings up Abraham. So how does that even matter? How does this make sense together? What exactly is he saying? And, And if we go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, we read over and over again of this promise, this covenant that God himself makes to Abraham, that he's going to make a family out of him, that he's going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And one issue that this church was having was that the Judaizers were saying, you have to be Jewish. You have to be part of Abraham's bloodline in order to to actually be saved. And what Paul is saying is, no, that's the wrong bloodline. You need to be a part of Jesus's bloodline covered by his blood and by his blood, by faith in Christ. You're also a part of the family that God is making, the family that's as numerous as the stars. To be Abraham's seed, united together as one family. This is exactly what Paul is kind of showing us here, that it's all about what Jesus has done, not about some certain bloodline or relation that we have to some guy who's really, really old and one of the patriarchs. No, it's all about what Christ himself has done. 
And then he goes on to kind of use this uh, language, this illustration of a slave who is a son, right? The son who's an heir to everything that his father has. And he begins talking about this and and saying, hey, uh, the son was actually needing to work and to be the slave, right? Even though he owned everything and one day would receive that inheritance that his father had promised him that was rightfully his, he still had to work for it. That was the culture back then. That even if the inheritance was yours, even if everything was going to be yours, you still have to work the land. You still have to be a slave to everything that's going on. And then, then at the proper time, the father would give over the inheritance. Then at the proper time, whether it was his father's death or a transition, the father would say, it's all yours, and you are no longer a slave, but now you are the heir. You have the proper inheritance that is coming to you. And he draws on this language of being enslaved to, this, to the world. And he's telling the Galatians, like you were a slave to the land, like you were a slave to the work that you were having to do while everything was yours, you were also enslaved to the things of this world, that you were enslaved to the idols, you were enslaved to your own desires, you were enslaved to making other things gods. In verse 8 of chapter 4, Paul clears up what the elements of the world are. He says, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not gods, right? rituals, works. Uh, They were all keeping a hold of them and saying, this is my God. This is what I look to. This is what I worship. And Paul is telling them that they were enslaved to these things. And like them, we are also enslaved to the things of this world, are we not? Right? We're completely enslaved to people's approval. We're enslaved to just desiring to puff ourselves up and make ourselves known. We have our own idols that we look towards, our own addictions that feel like they continue to uh, trample us down and hold us in, things that we feel like we can't get rid of. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, a social media addiction, your own pride, whatever it is, we are enslaved to our own things. And sometimes it just feels like we can't get rid of those things, right? Like there's moments where you just feel trapped, like it weighs on you. The specific sin that you're struggling with. And you're sitting there wondering, how do I get rid of this? How do I get rid of this guilt? This shame that continues to creep in on me. That's hiding always in the back of my mind. I feel like I'm just completely enslaved to it. Trapped to it. And that's exactly what Paul is drawing us back on, to show that this fear continues to maybe trap us in at different times, or even before you're in Christ, that you're enslaved to your own sin, that you're in bondage to holding on and keeping that one thing that you feel like you can't let go of when Jesus is saying, let go and come to me. And we're enslaved to the things of this world, but there's good news in the midst of it Because Paul continues to say, he says, at the proper time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we might receive that beautiful adoption that God has freed us from those elementary principles. God has freed us from those things that we were enslaved to. God has freed us from the trap of feeling the guilt and the shame and the fear that we have that's over our sin that continues to creep in in our own lives. God has freed us from that. And we might glance over this passage. We might read this section and go, okay, yeah, cool. I know that God's freed me from my sin. 
I know that Jesus died for my sin, and I know that I'm made right with him. But this is something much deeper. Because as we think of being right with God, right, we think of justification, we think of being made right with God, justified before him. But justification is just a legal term, right? David, last week when he was preaching, he used this illustration of the courtroom, right? And while you are guilty, the, the judge kind of lets you go free, says you are, no, you are not guilty. Someone else is paying the price for your sin, for what you've done. And justification is that legal term, but adoption goes much deeper. Adoption goes much deeper because justification is just a one-time kind of instance that you're made right with God, but then in adoption, he not just makes you right, he brings you into a right relationship with him, and it's continual, and it's renewing, and it happens each and every single day as the Father calls to you and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are mine, you belong to me in this relationship together. It's not just a one-time deal, but it's continually throughout the rest of your life and for all of eternity because of what Jesus has done. Adoption goes much deeper than we could ever think. God didn't just stand there as judge and say, okay, you're not guilty. That's it. But he stepped down and he said, you're also mine for the rest of eternity. You're my child. And sometimes adoption is kind of a hard image to grasp for maybe a lot of us who, who haven't adopted kids, and there's families in our church who have adopted kids. But adoption is a long process. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with adoption. There's so much that people can be told no for. You know, when they desire to adopt a kid and the adoption agency says, actually, you can't adopt that kid. You can't do it. And so there's some requirements when it comes to adopting a child. And the first kind of uh, thing that I see is that adoption requires someone coming at the right time. Someone coming at the right time. Because if you think about it, you go and you go try to adopt the child, and they come back and say, actually, no, you're too young. No, your uh, kids are maybe too young. No, your house isn't just ready at this point in time. And there's all these barriers that kind of come into it when it comes to adoption coming at the right time, right? There's this pastor whose name is David Platt. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. He's been waiting 11 months to adopt his kid. He's been waiting 11 months to adopt his son. Why? Because of the pandemic, right? He's not able to go get his new son because it's not the right time. The second thing that we see with adoption is that uh, you have to have the right qualifications. There's qualifications that you have to have in order to adopt a child. Um, whether it's being of age, being 21, or being a resident in most states, or, or it's having good emotional health, or a secure place to live. There's all these qualifications that we have to qualify for if you want to adopt a child someday, right? It's a long list of things, and maybe this seems very basic, but there's all this kind of work, front-end work, behind-the-scenes work that needs to be done in order for someone to adopt a child. And at the right time, with the right qualifications, the Father sent His Son, Jesus, with all of the right qualifications to come and pay the price for our sins so that He could adopt us into His family. This is absolutely amazing to see that Jesus Himself is fully God and fully man, being born of a woman, under the law, yet completely righteous and never falling into sin. Jesus 
Jesus had all the right qualifications so that we could be adopted into the family. And he came at the right time so that we could be adopted into the family, so that the Father could call, call us his own. There's nothing a child can do in an orphanage to earn his adoption, right? Like, think of a kid in an orphanage. There's nothing that kid can do to essentially be adopted. It all relies on the parents and what they're doing, and if they meet the qualifications, and if they choose that specific child. There's nothing they can do. And yet, like us, there's nothing we can do to be made right with God, to be called a children of the Father. And yet he did all the work through Christ Jesus. He did everything so that we could be adopted into the family. And adoption is purposeful. God didn't just send Jesus to pay for our sin. Think of it this way. You've been going through the process of adoption for weeks, months, maybe years. And your adoption agency, your agent, finally says, okay, you've met the qualifications. Your recommendations are glowing. Your house is finally ready. It's time to meet your kid. It's time for you to take them home. And so you're getting stoked because you're about to go to the adoption agency to meet your new 12-year-old son or daughter. And as you step into the room, into the office, to sign the final paperwork, your adoption agent kind of stops and says, actually, I have a couple of more things to tell you about them before we get into it. They've been in therapy for years. They constantly just burn things, and we don't know why. They sometimes skin animals. They, they act out sexually. They've got a pretty bad family history of mental illness. They have years of medical uh, surgeries that need to come, and you're going to have to spend thousands of dollars on them. Do you still want to adopt that kid? Do you still want to adopt this child? And what the gospel is telling us is that child is us. That that child's me. That God the Father came down while I was, he sent his son to come down to pay for my sin so that he could adopt me as his son. So that he could adopt you while we were enslaved to the things of the world. While we were murderers, liars, cheaters, adulterers, hurting broken people with messy backgrounds who continue to fall into sin. And yet he said, I want to pay for that sin to show you who I am out of loving kindness, out of mercy, to bring you into this family, to call you my son, to call you my daughter. That's what the Father has done. While we were enslaved to the things of this world, he still came for us to bring us into a right relationship, to have eternal life with him forever. And if you've never come to see God as your father, if you've never actually taken the step to confess your sin and repent before God and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to truly lay down your life and say, no, he's done it all for me. I can't clean myself up enough. I can't work hard enough. I can't do enough good. I can't earn my way to God, and I realize that. And yet I still want to be able to cry out and call him Father. Would you give your life over to Jesus today? Would you make that commitment to understand that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? 
that he's come to save you even though you've been sinful your entire life, that he's clothed you with himself and with his righteousness, that he spilled blood for you, rose on the third day, defeated sin and death, all so that you could enter into relationship with him. Would you do that today? Would you give your life and trust in the Father? Would you come be a part of the family? Because it is the greatest gift that we could ever receive to have a right relationship with God himself, an ongoing relationship where he lovingly cares for us each and every single day for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity. And as a part of this family, we receive uh, multiple beautiful blessings of being part of the family, right? Like we not just get a rich relationship with God himself, but he gives us an inheritance, a shared inheritance that we all have. And we see that inheritance in these next couple of verses. So read with me, verses six and seven. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So God adopts us, right? The Father brings us in this family. We're now called sons of God because of what Jesus has done. By the blood that he spilled, we've been clothed with Christ. We have union with God. We have a family that we've been adopted into. And Paul keeps using this language of being sons of God, and it's not to not include women. I do want to clear this up. He uses this language because he wants to show the reality for back then, at that time, sons would be the one who received the inheritance, right? Sons would be the ones who kind of get everything. And so he's showing this radical relationship that the father has to give everything over and bring the son into the family to share that inheritance and to give it all to his possession, and so he uses this language for us. And it's okay to be called sons of God. I'm, I'm, I get to be called a bride of Christ. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, and so it's okay to be called that. But I did want to clear that up, that he's not disqualifying women. He's actually inviting them into the relationship with him. But this is who we are. This is our identity and what God has done. And we receive this amazing inheritance. And, and there's so many more blessings than what's just listed in these two verses, right? Like God gives us so much more than just what he lists here. But I do just want to go over these two things. And the first thing that we see that is a part of our inheritance, our shared inheritance, is that we receive the Spirit of God. That God sends his son to dwell with us, to dwell within our hearts, to actually fill us with himself, to have that beautiful relationship. Jesus' spirit, the spirit of God to dwell in our hearts, to continue to point us back to him, to encourage us, to walk with us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to show us the love that God has for us, to have intimacy with God. That's the inheritance we receive. And the Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. If we remember, Jesus himself cried out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is just like a child groaning, right? If you're a parent, you kind of know that call. When they scream, Mom, Dad, you know that call way too well. And that's the same thing. That, that as Jesus cried that out to the Father, we now cry that same calling out to the Father, Abba, Father, because the Spirit of Christ is now dwelling within us, and so we share the same heart because we have union with Him, and so we get to call out to the Father. We get to cry out and say, My Father, my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the same cry we get to scream out because of what Jesus has done. 
While Christ's death gives us union with God, the Spirit gives us total communion with Him, total relationship with Him to continually dwell and be with Him. Michael Reeves, uh, in his book, Delighting uh, with the Trinity, says this. He says, By the Spirit, I begin to know and love Him as my Father. By the Spirit, I begin to love correctly. By the Spirit, I begin to love as God loves with his own generous, overflowing, self-giving love for others. We receive the amazing inheritance of having God himself dwell within us, to be with us, to continue to show us his love and to lead us to love others well, to understand what true love is right? This is our wonderful shared inheritance that we have. The second thing that Paul mentions is that we are heirs, that we get to receive everything that is the Father's, right? In in new creation, when God restores all things, that we are heirs to the creation, that we get to reign and rule with him for the rest of eternity, right? If you uh, ever watched the show The Crown, Uh, on Netflix, you kind of see what it means to be an heir. There's like bickering and fighting between the siblings at different times because they all think that they would be a a, a better uh, king or queen to come, that they're they're excited for the one, uh, they're not excited for their sibling who is going to be the heir to the throne, but they all kind of want it themselves because they think they'd be better. Well, friends, we have Jesus, the perfect king, and we get to look to him, and, and we get to reign and rule with him in new creation for the rest of eternity because of what he has done. We are heirs to that. That's something that's ours, that's shared with Christ, that we get to be with him for the rest of eternity. That's good news. And so we have that wonderful picture of that. But what does this all mean, right? Like, how how does this actually impact us in our daily lives? Because we, we can know the reality of what it means to be adopted into the family. We can know the reality of saying, yeah, I have brothers and sisters in Christ, But what does it actually mean for us here today? Why do we need to think about this? Because oftentimes our our salvation, right, when we think of our relationship with Jesus, we think of it very individually. Now, that's not a bad thing. I praise the Lord for saving us and, and saving people over and over again each day that he continues to bring more people life through the blood of his son, that more people come to see him, and it, and it is individual to some extent. But God not only saves us for himself, but he saves us to a family. He saves us to a people to live it out with, to actually be in rich relationship with. And then he tells us how to live out that family life throughout the scriptures. And so when we say we are a family, we're not just saying something because we want to cultivate some sort of culture, but we're saying something because it's a reality. Because if we don't live this out, we miss out on what God has for us. We miss out on the reality, the rich relationships that God desires for us to share with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to always be pointing each other back to Jesus, to share in that union and communion that we have with God himself. Your identity is not just a son or daughter of God, but your identity is also a brother and sister in Christ. To look to each other, the people in this room, 
the people uh, uh, in other churches, right? Like it's not just a, a City Light South thing. It's not just a City Light family thing. It's not just a CMA thing, but it's the church at large. All the people that Jesus has saved, those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it matters that we actually come to understand that and live that relationship out. So when we say we're a family, this is actually what we're trying to get to, that we want to live that identity out, that we want to actually see and build the relationships that God has for us that we see in the scriptures, and we do that by multiple different ways. And I know this language of family can be really hard for some people. It's hard for me at times. I've shared different past experiences uh, before with my family and the brokenness that's in the midst of that, but um, my, like, my father and my mother divorced when I was four, right? My dad lives in Texas, and when he invites me to go see him, by God's grace, the relationship has been restored after some past damage and is still being restored to this day. But when he invites me to go visit them in Texas, I like feel really weird about it. It's not just because it takes time or it takes money to get down there, but there's like this weird sense when I do hang out with my father and the family down there, my siblings, I feel like I don't belong. Like I feel like I'm on the outside kind of looking in. And it doesn't feel like it's quite my family. I love them deeply. I love my dad. I love my siblings. I, I have a deep love for them. But there's this kind of truth that I feel like I'm on, on the outside looking to a glass, looking at their relationships, looking at the family, that, the family structure that they kind of have, and I'm just looking, wanting to be a part of that family, desiring to belong but not actually feeling that. And some of you in the room may have real hurt real pains when it comes to family relationships, whether it's siblings or parents, people who have hurt you, people who have maybe abandoned you, people who continue to uh, uh, just have this hard relationship with. And so I want to encourage you, if that's true of you, I want to encourage you not to impose the hurt that you have from your earthly family here onto Jesus, but I want you to reverse that, and I want you to see who Jesus is, and I want you to see how good the Father is, and I want you to see how amazing and beautiful it is to have communion with the Spirit of God dwelling within us and, and, and see what the family should be, how God's designed for it right? And actually see the rich relationships that God has for us as his family, right? And, and there's a truth that us as a family, as a City Light South family, we're probably going to make each other grumpy sometimes. I, I promise you I'll probably let you down. I probably already have for some of you guys. There's going to be differences in different things, but I can guarantee you I'll be there for you. I can guarantee you I'll say I'm sorry if I hurt you. And I'll step into muddy waters. And I'll be there with you in the hard times to weep with you. And I'll be with you in the beautiful times when we get to celebrate and rejoice and praise the Lord for what he's doing and what he continues to do. And that's the family that we desire to be. And that's the family that we are. It's not just something we want to be. It's a reality. God has made us sons and daughters. God has adopted us into this family to be united together, to share in that. That Jesus has come down to bring us to, one, to himself, but also to one another, to share in the rich relationship that he desires to have with us. Friends, 
I want you to know that while we're not perfect, in God's timing, we will be. When he returns, this family will be perfected to be with the Father, to be with Christ himself for the rest of eternity. So my hope is that we would live out this family life, that we would live out what God has for us in the scripture, to live out the one another's, to continue to be this family that God has made and adopted us into, to see the Father for how beautiful and merciful and how amazing he is, to send his son to adopt us into the family, that we have a a shared inheritance, that we have a shared adoption, that we have a, a shared outfit being clothed with Christ Jesus. We have union with him, and we have communion with each other. Friends, don't feel like you don't belong. You belong here. You belong in the Father's arms. You belong with this family. And in a second, we're going to take uh, the family meal together, communion. And and so I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And um, as we reflect on this time, we're going to take a quick moment to sit amongst yourself, to continue to stir up in your own heart and affections, to uh, remember what Jesus has done for you to remember the sacrifice that Christ made by uh, taking his body and putting it on the cross, by spilling his blood and allowing us to be a part of that family and remember that truth that we've been adopted into this family together. And I want to challenge you during this time, as as a part of this family, would you ask yourself, have I actually lived it out? Have I committed to this family? Would you make that commitment if you haven't? And if you have, praise the Lord. Let's continue to gather together. Let's continue to join together in city groups and health. We don't just say that stuff just to say it. I don't want to uh, just make you do a bunch of stuff. But I want you to experience the relationship that God has for us. As the family that Christ has adopted us into. That the Father's brought us into by his blood. And I want to ask if you're not a part, uh, if you haven't actually taken the step of faith to believe in Christ, I want to ask you to refrain from taking the family meal. We take this seriously. It's not just something we do week in and week out, uh, but it's a rich relationship that we have to remember Jesus. And, And if you're contemplating that, if you're wondering, man, would you say yes to Christ today? I would love to welcome you into the family that God has adopted us into. I would love to sing praises to the Father who is so, so good, who has freed us from the slavery of our sin, who's adopted us into this family. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. Even thinking back on the last year that we just had and experienced, God, I feel like I grumbled and complained way too much. I feel like I was an Israelite in the wilderness wandering and just continuing to complain when the promised land was set right before me, when I could see the promise that you've given, that I could see the beautiful relationship that you've brought me into. So Jesus, I pray that I would remember the good gift that you've given. I pray that I would remember the adoption that I have into your family, that I get to cry out, Abba, Father, and that your spirit dwells within me. 
that you were present here today and that you've adopted us into this family. Lord, I pray that we would be a church family, a body of people who live out that rich relationship that you desire so much for us to always look back to you and to give thanks to you, Lord. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.